Welcome to Planet Watch, big solutions to Earth-sized problems. I'm Rachel Ann Goodman. And I'm Joe Jordan. Happy Earth Day. Today on the program, super energy efficient buildings are certainly the future, a huge user of energy, are owners of large commercial buildings. How do we retrofit these buildings? How do we make sure they're greener? and have other resources that they're not using. Our guest will be Barry Giles, CEO of Bream USA, a green building assessment company based in San Francisco. Bream is called the grandfather of all green building assessments. We'll find out what that means and have an interview for you in just a moment. But first... We have a podcast to which you can subscribe if you haven't already, planetwatchradio.com. And by the way, if you want to uh, email us anytime during this show or between shows, you can reverse the order of that. Again, the website for going to the planet to the uh, podcast is planetwatchradio.com, but you can email us at radioplanetwatch at gmail.com. And thanks to uh, MZ for sponsoring us on local station KSCO here in Santa Cruz. Great, and we're going to have a couple of news stories for you uh, right here on Planet Watch. We always start the program with news, and then we'll go straight to our interview after that. First, we have Tommy, who's one of our interns here on Planet Watch, with a story for you about plastic-eating enzymes. Scientists from the U.S. and Britain accidentally discovered a way to speed up a plastic-eating enzyme. First discovered in a Japanese recycling plant in 2016, the enzyme feeds on the world's most used plastic, known as PET, which is found in items like plastic bottles and polyester clothing. While trying to study the structure of the enzyme, the researchers accidentally sped up the process, beginning to break down plastics in a matter of days. Instead of being used in other products like fibers for clothing and carpets, the enzyme breaks down PET to its building blocks, allowing it to be reused for more plastic bottles. The researchers warn that while this is not a solution to our plastic emergency, it could help to speed up a process which currently takes centuries. The speed of the enzyme's natural evolution also caused the researchers to question the durability of the ma material we rely on as packaging for so much of what we consume. So does that mean those enzymes could, yeah, literally like decay the studio, which is half made of plastic, <laughs> if they release them? That could be if problematic. If it's PET plastic. <laughs> okay. Well, that could phase out PET plastic rather rapidly. And make even more durable, long-lasting plastics if we don't watch out. That's indeed true. Next, uh, Adam Muscle has this story that was written by Maya Rodriguez, who's stuck in traffic, but she wanted to share this with you. Last week, a well-known lawyer died after setting himself on fire to protest fossil fuels and bring awareness to climate change. According to the New York Times, David Buckle set himself on fire in a, in a park in Brooklyn on April 14th. He left a suicide note stating that his death symbolizes the environmental damage that fossil fuels cause. David Buckle had been a prominent lawyer for the LGBTQ community, fighting for marriage equality and transgender rights for decades. Later in his career, he worked with several environmental groups. He is survived by his husband, Terry, and his daughter, Hannah. That, that story just floored me when I first heard it. It's a, yeah. Yeah, it's important, but bad news. Indeed. Well, we um, also have a story about the history of Earth Day, in case you didn't know where it came from. And actually, internationally, Earth Day is celebrated around the world today, uh, the, the day we're recording this program here in Santa Cruz, California. The history of Earth Day began in Santa Barbara in early 1969, and I'm old enough to remember this news story. An oil platform six miles offshore from the idyllic beach town of Santa Barbara blew out and spewed some 100,000 barrels of crude into the Pacific. It was the largest spill in U.S. history at the time. Today it's the third largest. And it catalyzed the modern environmental movement. Over the next year, Gaylord Nelson, a U.S. senator from Wisconsin, marshaled the personnel resources and political capital to create what became Earth Day on April 1970. And of course, its impact on public education and policy was tremendous. You might know that Richard Nixon passed the Environmental Protection Act, which created the Environmental Protection Agency, which still regulates clean air, clean water, and endangered species. And although it's under attack from within by its very director, who's under investigation, by the way, for potentially fraud, um, it still maintains one of the best, world's best environmental protection policy regulators in the world. And uh, we're very proud that that has been one of the many results of Earth Day. And it has gone international and is now celebrated as International Mother Earth Day around the globe. So happy International Mother Earth Day to all of you. Welcome to Planet Watch. And as I was telling people yesterday at the big fair we had here in Santa Cruz uh, celebrating Earth Day, 
you know, uh, there's a trite but true saying. Every day is Earth Day, okay? And so I would tell people, uh, happy Earth century. <laughs> uh, and I realized I could tell you, to, as of today, the Earth is 4.6 billion years old, approximately. Of course, that'll still be true for another 100 million years or so. Then we can start saying 4.7 billion years old. But so... Uh, that's, a, that's a lot of birthday cakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I realized that we have this guest who we're going to get to in a minute. Uh, he's an expert on green building. And um, the person who worked with that U.S. senator to get Earth Day going is a name that might be familiar to many of you, including our guest, Dennis Hayes, who was the head of SERI, S-E-R-I, the Solar Energy Research Institute, until Reagan axed that whole program and solar kind of went underground for a couple of decades in this country, major setback. And uh, Dennis Hayes now uh, heads the Bullet Foundation out of Seattle, B-U-L-L-I-T-T. And they have like one of the greenest buildings in the world up there. Maybe Barry can tell us about that later. But uh, so anyway, uh, happy uh, birthday, Earth Day. <laughs> yes, and, indeed. Uh, keep going for another few billion years. <laughs> yes, may it, may it live on with us or without us and hopefully not have a, a hard fate because of us. So that's why we started Planet Watch, by the way. Uh, Rachel Goodman, Joe Jordan, we, we talked to each other briefly after the 2016 election. It seems like so long ago, but it wasn't that long ago. And we said, what can we do? We don't want to just talk about the worst problems that are happening, even though we do. Um, we also want to talk about solutions. And that's why we invited our guests for today on the program. And Adam, Tommy, please feel free to throw up your hand anytime you want to participate. We'll just bring you on because you are the future. We're the present and maybe the past. Um, so we want to include you in the conversation. And I'm scanning our email at radioplanetwatch at gmail.com for your questions. That's right. You can also go on to Facebook and look for um, Planet Watch, and we will have streaming live. You can see what we look like. Joe's wearing a very colorful Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> we've got checkers, we've got gray, we've got white, and we've got, I don't know, hippie. So um, you can see what we look like. Hi. And you can also ask a question on Facebook if you'd like. So let me introduce our guest, and then we'll roll with um, some questions and thoughts and stories about what it means to promulgate green buildings. Barry Giles. Uh, it's Giles, by the way. Okay. They, not Jay Giles. <laughs> the hard G. <laughs> not the musician. Hard G. <laughs> not that one. Okay. Giles. Thank you for the correction. Barry Giles, uh, in the early days of his oh, career, worked in virtual every aspect of the building industry. He's been an engineer, a general contractor, a systems operator, and a facility supervisor, so he knows the actual physical workings of buildings. He's been in the guts of these giant skyscrapers. And his experience gives him an astute insight into what will satisfy the many different stakeholders in a project. He works with an organization, he is in fact the CEO, of Bream USA, which he'll tell you a little bit about. You might have heard of LEED certified, which is a way of certifying how green a building is. And it's a very high standard of insulation and what kind of lighting they have. Think about for a minute how many public and you know civic buildings there are in the world. If you look at any major city, there are thousands upon thousands of skyscrapers. You probably know how many, Barry, but there's lots. That, that there is. There's lots and lots of buildings in America. And if we just take commercial buildings, there's, there's over 5.6 million commercial buildings in America. That's now, a huge that, number. And how, what of a dent do they make in our energy consumption, just if you take hu Huge energy. amount. It, it's pretty well that they, they like to say that, it, you know, existing buildings or buildings in general, you know, produce most of our, or the largest proportion of our emissions outputs. And I don't think they've ever really gone down and calculated building by building and added the number up. But let's just say at this point that it's a fairly substantial proportion of our, of our emissions and consuming a lot of the energy that goes into those buildings as well. Now, what's the potential, you know, right now, if we were to take every existing building and, you know, lower, how far could we lower their energy use and what kind of a dent would it make? And I don't mean numbers because I probably surprised you with that question, but is it, if you say it's a significant portion of our greenhouse output, 
do we have the potential just by retrofitting them to lower that significantly? That's a great question and a great place to, to think about what we can do in buildings. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, the original U.S. Green Building Council's LEED program has worked on about 80,000, maybe 90,000 buildings. And uh, we can look at Energy Star. The EPA's program, Energy Star's worked in about 400,000 buildings. So if you like... If we round numbers up and add a few percentage points on top, we could say about 500,000 buildings in America have, have had some sort of action done to them, uh, a benchmarking process, a process of understanding how much energy is going into the building and what they can do to change it. So take that away from 5.6 million. We've got a heck of a lot of buildings still to work in and to make some sort of change to. Yeah, now... Let's stop right there for a second. I got, we got to do some fun with letters here. I screwed up. I, t I correctly said it was Barry Giles, and then I said that's a hard G. No, a hard G is G Giles. It's a soft G. So Barry Giles. And then these other letters that we're throwing around, L-E-E-D, LEAD, uh, that stands for Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design. It's this whole program that was initiated in connection with the USGBC, which is the United States Green Building Council. And Barry was intimately involved with uh, a, a standard called LEED-EB for existing buildings. In other words, uh, standards for greenness of not new buildings, but ones that are existing that get retrofitted to satisfy a certain requirement. And finally, uh, I want to play a game with our listeners today. You've heard Barry talk a little bit, so that's good. I want you to guess, while he continues to talk here, <laughs> where he is from. It's someplace, speaking of Earth Day, it's someplace elsewhere on the Earth from where we're broadcasting <laughs> this program right now. But when I hear that kind of accent, it's, it's one of four places. Don't it's give the it away. UK, well, it's, it's got to be either the U.K. It's got to be either the U.K. Or, or South Africa or New Zealand or Australia. And so uh, you, you figure it out uh, as you uh, listen. And maybe you can email us with uh, your answer <laughs> based did, on did, how Barry Do they talks. get a big prize? I don't know. Well, pay, pay more attention to what Barry says and not so and much how he how he's, what his accent is. But, but anyway. Might well, be well that's kind of you, Joe. And, and, and thank you for, you know, the name. I mean, I do answer to anything, including what, what are you drinking? So, you know, I'm quite happy to answer to Giles or Giles. Um, but you're right. It, you know, the acronyms get thrown around all the time. And the U.S. Greenbelt. Building Council's lead program, um, you know, is is not the beginning. The beginning comes from a, a company called the Building Research Establishment, a 96-year-old company out of England that was created by the British government. And uh, they created about 30 years ago the BRIAM program. Okay, let's go BRIAM. Ready? Building Research Establishment Environmental Assessment Method. B-R-E-E-A-M. And that is the forerunner of every green building rating system in the world. Everything came from BRIAM in terms of either being a clone or a copy or an idea that somebody took to something else. And I, just to, not to be confused with something I've seen a lot here in Santa Cruz, BRIMA? Some kind of, I don't know, yoga or some kind of thing. Brima. This but is Brima. Just by saying that, you confuse them, I'm sure, Joe. But that's okay. We'll be doing yoga um, while we're talking about green buildings. Well, that, that'll be good. That's good. So uh, even it was 96 years ago in England, they weren't thinking so much about global warming. They were thinking probably about just making our energy reserves last longer, right? No? No, no. Actually, back in those days, just after the First World War, the government of Britain created this establishment a group of scientists because people were dying in fires and they asked first of all those scientists to create a, f a whole set of programs and understandings and and scalable rules and regulations and codes so that houses and commercial buildings will be built safer and were able to withstand enough fire time so that people could get out of the building and that's actually where it started all those years ago in fire and over the years the British government provided information and money and it grew out of that until today Briam is a 700 people uh, a academic and scientific analysis a position on every facet of the built environment. 
commercial, residential, you name it, they have a role to play, including Joe, back of you and I are old enough to remember this, when the first rules and regulations came out about lighting, circadian rhythms and, and colour rendition and all that was created by BRE back in the 1950s and 60s. It's still the set of rules that are used by every university, every scientist worldwide came out of that set of rules created by the BRE. Great. Well, thank you for the background. So, so <laughs> that's important to know that they weren't thinking necessarily about um, what we're thinking about today, but they've continued to add things on to what buildings should be. And you said at the beginning of the program that if we were to retrofit and change uh, the way buildings are insulated, for example, we could knock down so many of our greenhouse gas emissions. Correct. What is the top thing you could do to a big giant skyscraper? Let's say the Transamerica building in San Francisco, that big old pyramid. If you could do everything to it, that what would be the first thing that would have the most impact? The first thing that any building can do, and that's actually commercial or residential, would be first of all to understand how much energy you're using and where is it going? Because unless you make that starting point, you've got no methodology of working forward from there. So let's just take the Transamerica Pyramid. It's easy to understand how much energy they're using. One can look at the energy bill and say, we're using a million kilowatt a year or whatever it may be. For that point of fact, we can then say, okay, well, where is that million kilowatt going? Is it going into lighting? Is it going to HVAC systems? Is it going into plug load stuff we plug into the wall or whatever it may be? We need to start segmenting it out. Once we start segmenting it out, we can start making clear, concise plans of how we're going to reduce that draw of the, of the, of the energy in a pattern that can be priced, timed out, and see a return on investment. Nobody's going to be altruistic here. We've got to be able to see where the money is, where the return on investment is. So if you have an existing building like the Transamerica Pyramid, you can't just wrap it in bubble wrap, you know, <laughs> and insulate the darn thing. So, well, you know, you, can you blow stuff in the walls? What is there really to do with an existing already built thing? <laughs> a, a thing, I like the idea a of it being a thing. A giant pyramid-shaped building. An Sorry. edifice. Yeah. We, we have Thank an you. edifice complex <laughs> species here. Well, certainly I think in the Transamerica Pyramid, one of the first things they did was to look at lighting back when we first started in that building. They were changing the lighting in the building. And in those days, I think, um, Joe, you'll need to help me here in terms of the T12 technologies of fluorescent bulbs and incandescent bulbs that were being put in buildings in those days. Um, certainly many years ago when we started in that building about 18 years ago, I think now, uh, the first thing they were looking at was, shall we change the lighting? And it was quite easy to see some of the new technologies that were coming through, even in the fluorescent tube marketplace, going from T12s to a better quality of fluorescent tube, which actually was consuming less energy. So you were going from a 32 watt to a 28 watt bulb, for example. Well, we can see that there was a small change in the, the wattage, but with thousands and thousands and thousands of bulbs in that building, that adds up. And you can see on a piece of paper how much energy you could be saving. And are they going to LED light bulbs now? Absolutely. All modern buildings are heading straight into the LED. That has two advantages, believe it or not. Not only are you saving energy in the creation of light, i.e. putting light in, fluorescent tube shines, we get light in the room, do the same with an LED bulb. But if you notice, there's two changes here. If you put your hand on a fluorescent tube, it's hot. Put it on your finger on an LED bulb, it's cool. So there's no heat generation going on in the building. By changing all the fluorescent bulbs to LED, we can make significant changes to how much energy is required to cool the building through its HVAC system. HVAC. Heating, ventilation, <laughs> and air conditioning. We have Sorry, Joe, the acronym, acronym explainer. <laughs> um, yes, and, and I want you to move um, your mic just a little. I'm going to turn it down so that um, when you're turning that way, you don't go off mic. Oh, so, so just turn it that way a little bit. I turned you off. Used to uh, a so we'll radio, Tommy so to I do you. apologize. No, it's not your fault. It's <laughs> We have to just get you set up there so that when you turn your head, we don't lose your lovely 
resonant accent from a particularly unnamed country. Okay, how we get... There is a saying... Uh, Wait, I had you off too, Joe. Just okay. for there we go. We're all back on, and this is Planet Watch you're listening to with Barry Giles along with Joe Jordan, and we have our two friends here, Tommy Martin and Adam Muscle. If you have any questions for our guest, please, do you have anything you'd like to say? Radio Planet Watch at gmail.com. We're going kind of fast, so just jump in here <laughs> at we, any point. And we have our guest here from some exotic place, but where they do speak English, at least. <laughs> I do have a very uh, basic question. What about, what about buildings that do need to be heated up? Should we be using non-LED bulbs in those buildings that do need the heat? Well, that's a great question. I mean, obviously, in some places where you don't have outside... If we take the Monterey Bay Aquarium as a good example... I think everybody here knows the Monterey Bay Aquarium. That actually has no heating device in it at all. It doesn't heat the air. So in the wintertime, if there are very few people in the building, you can feel quite cool as you walk around the building. How does it work? What happens is when we have a lot of people in the aquarium, it actually takes the heat from the atmosphere that would normally be discharged straight into the outside the building and recycles it back into the exhibit so they're able to keep the fish tanks a little warmer the tuna tanks a little warmer and they put maybe a little bit of air back in heat back into the air that's being delivered into the building but in reality they've got no heating device what a great question write that down joe and give them <laughs> yeah, a yeah. bonus point the, here. The, there are a couple sayings related uh, in the building science and technology industries uh, that an incandescent light is basically a heater that happens to give off some light yes. <laughs> whereas yes. with the leds uh, they, they are more light efficient, although they still could be improved upon too. An interesting little fact, by the way, an LED light emitting diode is basically the opposite of what makes solar electricity, photovoltaics. With photovoltaics, you get light from the sun in, electricity out. With an LED and an LED light bulb, you put electricity in and you get light out. Right. <laughs> so and they're both made of silicon. Well, the, the, the solar cells can be and made of And here's silicon. another interesting fact. You know the color blue uh -huh. that was, mm -hmm. was created? It won a Nobel Prize. It won a Nobel Prize for UC Santa Barbara, right? And the other half of the team was? Building Research Establishment out of London. And that was Your one company. You just gave I'm a, happy a to hint. say. That was and a I, hint. That came up. I was at UC Davis yesterday. We're starting to talk to UC Davis to bring them on as a university of excellence amongst the BRE program, worldwide program. And they were telling us all those, these fun facts. And I was going, do you know, I never knew that. I never knew <laughs> it's awful. The other thing about lighting... It's uh, great to be in a business where you're learning things or maybe teaching people things every day, right? Yeah. It's well, all it a is. knowledge exchange program. The other thing about lighting is a, a way of... a kind of a quick way of uh, getting efficiency up in buildings is... Uh, they call it the low-hanging fruit. Mm. It's kind of the easy, quick one. But then, you know, you get into more things like air handling and pumps and VAV, you know, variable air volume pumps and things like that. Those are more sophisticated, harder to do, but maybe, uh, well, maybe not bigger bang for the buck or just more bucks and, and a bigger bang. But uh, at some point we can talk about these other things you can do. with. That's right. And I think you're quite right there in terms of, you know, once you've changed all your, you know, incandescent bulbs and your fluorescent to LED, that you've gone through the HVAC systems and you've improved the efficiency of those, which is relatively easy to do nowadays. What are you left with then? What comes... What comes to the top of the list all of a sudden? It's plug load. Things that you plug into the wall. Now, we've had a revolution over the last, what, 20 years with the introduction of laptop computers and phones and everything else. You can go into some of these commercial spaces now. They've got more plugged into the wall than you would believe is happening. And it's the plug load is now becoming because it's unrestricted. And in a commercial building, it's very difficult to track that, of being able to benchmark a building. And benchmarking is imperative. Doesn't matter if you're in a commercial building, residential. Know how much energy you're consuming. Joe, I'm going to ask you in a minute how much energy your house consumes each day and each week. And 
every and in your commercial building unless you know that you've got no starting point i'm going to keep hammering that today well they call these little things what do they call them vampires because they're always on these little devices like your printer it stays idling but it's still on it's still on and i imagine you know that's the same for commercial buildings but if you look around your house i saw a film that was made in the 50s and people had virtually one device or two they had a maybe a tv and a toaster but it didn't stay on that's right so this seems to be a big area. Could you make something that turned everything off automatically or maybe metered every plug? How would you address the issue of these little devices these, just proliferating? I think a lot of people have been trying to come up with that answer for quite some time. And what they've been trying to do is, is in the residential and domestic situation, is plugging those type of things into a, into a, a splitter uh, so that you can turn them all off in one single go while they weren't going around the room. In commercial buildings there's separate and separated um, energy providers so plugs that are in the wall which are on a system which will shut down i think most people in the commercial tend to take their laptops home so you tend to unplug them at light, night but you're seeing the loads varying during the days so we still haven't got a good point of that we've isn't it odd with computers we've got these great ideas for wireless we understand now we can literally plug our work on our computer anywhere until the power runs out and then we're absolutely stalled so we haven't come across a methodology for uh, uh, joe we need a computer that's got a handle on the side that you turn you know <laughs> hamster wheel, hamster wheel. <laughs> or maybe um, i saw at uc santa cruz i think now they have a couple of um desks with for students at the library where they can pedal like hamsters to um, just get exercise, but they're not powering anything. They're just pedaling to get some exercise oh. while they read or graze on yes. their laptop. So perhaps you could power um, whole buildings with people pedaling away. Oh, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? I think, it's, I think there's so many areas. We, we think we've got it nailed when we changed to LED lighting and we've changed our HVAC system. But really, when it comes down to it, you've got to remember what our grandmothers and our mothers used to yell at us. Turn the light off when you leave the room. So automatic systems you know motion sensors infrared sensors uh, sensors that are attached in commercial buildings I, th I think everybody's been into some of these buildings and worked in them they've got these key cards you know these these uh, th these cards that you put on receivers so you can get into certain parts of the building where they're tracking devices and in some ways that's useful to be able to say well how many people are there in the room I'm looking around the studio, you know, one, two, three, four, five. There's six of us in here. But really there are systems that can count that. There are uh, a new set of um, uh, sensors about the size of a doorbell push, you know, the door button. Um, very, very cheap, which you can now uh, literally stick with a bit of double-sided tape anywhere in a commercial space or a residential, and it will tell you humidity, humidity, temperature. It will tell you movement. It'll tell sound. It'll tell temperature. It'll tell you all the f about eight parameters, and those sensors will come back into a central computer so you can best handle how much energy that goes into a building. Hmm. Up to date, it's tended to be turn something on at 8 a.m. in the morning and turn it off at 6 o'clock at night. Okay, that's how we first started. Now we're able to drive buildings depending on who's in the building and where. Is there more people in the conference room, you know, now? We don't need to run down there and find out. We've got sensors that will tell us that. That means we know we need to put more HVAC into there because there are more people in there, CO2 content or whatever it might be. When they leave, We've now got HVAC systems which are downscale themselves and they put the energy elsewhere as those hundred people have moved off into desking or whatever it might be. Sounds like a very smart building. If you just joined us here on Planet Watch, we're speaking with Barry Giles <laughs> from Bream. He is the CEO of a company that uh, assesses how much energy large skyscrapers and big buildings around the world are using so that they might be advised about how to reduce their energy bill. This is Planet Watch, and we uh, often have guests like this. I'm really enjoying our conversation. If you'd like to join the conversation by email, you can, you can email e us. At uh, radioplanetwatch at gmail.com. And it we we always get these questions at the very last minute. So <laughs> if you haven't been able to reach us, you can also go on Facebook and just write on our page your question. Tommy is monitoring them. And Tommy or Adam, if you have questions, 
please um, come on the mic. We would love yeah. to have you join us if you'd like to. And, you know, something. i got to tell the story of how I first met Barry because it's relevant to what we're talking about. Um, I was teaching a course at the local community college, Cabrillo College, in the construction and energy management department. It was a course on solar and renewable energy, but all kinds of things, you know, wind and biofuel and green building and energy efficiency. And I don't know, I saw something on email maybe or a poster on a wall that uh, there was going to be this talk at the Moss Landing Marine Lab, which is down, you know, halfway roughly between Santa Cruz and Monterey. It's this, uh, there's a research facility there, a marine research facility. And it was going to be given by this guy, Barry Giles, and it was going to be on green building and the LEED standards, the LEED, Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design. And uh, it turned out he, at the time, was working at Moss Landing Marine Lab, but it was kind of their building sustainability official. And so I went to this talk, and uh, it was this wonderful, very affable, fun, friendly guy who was giving this very animated, interesting talk. And then afterwards, I went up and talked to him and said, hey, i got to get you to come and talk in my class. And he said, yeah. So he's, he's done that two or three times since. And uh, anyway, it's always great. But uh, that's – and so – you know, one of the things you talked about in there was what the LEED standards are. You know, you can have a building that's rated LEED. Uh, silver maybe is the lowest uh, than gold, and then LEED platinum is the highly sought and kind of very expensive to attain. If uh, Well, it might not have to be expensive if you're really clever in how you attain that standard. But anyway, uh, at some point we should, maybe now would be a good time to kind of just go down through the list of the kinds of things that buildings and their uh, environs can do. And it's not just the buildings. It's things like their parking lots being pervious uh, space that lets water drain properly or, or proximity to public transit. You get points in the lead system. So for all these that's a really good question. <laughs> if you want to go down from the lowest to highest. And then um, also when you're done doing that, I'm curious um, if it's super expensive, why would people invest in that unless they have a return after a certain point. So first answer the various levels, maybe, and why they are designated such. Right, and I think it's uh, it's going back to Joe's quite valid point. When we came, when we started back in this program, um, I was one of the r original writers of the lead existing building program back in 2002, and it was at the Moss Landing Marine Lab where Joe came, and uh, thanks to Kenneth Cole, who was the interim director at that time, you know, we got that building through as the, as the fifth building in the world. And it was a challenge because it was only a 60,000 square foot mixed-use building. And why we were doing it was because we didn't just concentrate on the energy. Being part of the California State University system and like most university systems, not a lot of cash to throw around at these things. So we were always looking for all parts of the program. LEED is covered and as is BRIAM and many others with a lot of different categories. So there's energy and there's water and there's transportation as Joe mentioned. There's recycling materials and so on and etc etc. And many of the good buildings and Moss Landing Marine Lab is a very, very good building at 60,000 square feet. You know, we, we got across the board. So we did well on energy, but we also did well on water reduction. And we did well on recycling. And we did well on the exterior of the building, the ecology and the planting and the landscaping that was surrounding that. Um, but it's as things have moved on over the years, the program has changed somewhat different versions of lead have come through which has made it a little bit difficult for buildings to get into and as time has gone on less and less buildings are coming into the lead program and that's why we bought briam here because it will take care of the rest of those buildings now what are the most important things obviously we always want to be looking at energy it's one of the easiest things to do from turning the lights out when we leave the room to uh, challenging ourselves of how can we use less. Sustainability, as I said to Joe the other day, is not doing with less. It's doing the same thing with less because we want to be able to run buildings. We cannot get away from that. You mentioned at the beginning that many buildings are going to be changed over the years. You're quite right, but there's still going to be five million existing buildings. As soon as they're built, they become existing. And the most important thing we need to do is understand how much they're working, what impacts they are having in that, in that field. The thing you just said, there's still going to be five million 
buildings. You mean commercial buildings. buildings. Commercial <laughs> buildings. Right. You include oh, everything. I, it's in the that's billions probably. I couldn't and, even think of how yeah. many residential buildings there are. Two, Lots. maybe three times more than that. And, so, you know, and work, the nature of work is changing, right? Not everybody goes to work in an office building. A lot of people are working from wherever. Correct. And, the, and then there's these co-working sites that people just go to and only use for the amount of time they need to be working there. Mm-hmm. And so I can see us throwing out the old model and perhaps using these things more efficiently by using them more and not building more of them. We could make a lot of more use of our buildings. There are a lot of vacant spaces in buildings, but some buildings are very, very smart. And I can, for example, give you an example of the Edge, which is a commercial building in the Netherlands. It was built for Deloitte's. It was built with Deloitte money. That is very, very smart building. Why is it that? Because it understands who it's got in the building. Having worked in there, and they're mostly what's called hot desks, which means nobody has assigned a particular desk. But as you come to the building in the morning and you say, I'm going to work today on my little handheld, my iPhone, the system then says, because of answers that you gave me over the last few weeks, I'm going to tell you which desk you're going to be more, most comfortable at. Because the building operates constantly. It doesn't vary its HVAC system. It runs it at the most efficient it possibly can. So it tells you from where you, as you're walking into the building, you will be more, most happy at these desks because the sun is at a certain angle. We know how much temperature the, the outside. We know where we're going to have the best uh, HVAC system where we're going to have the best lighting and it gives you options of desks to go to so that at the end of the day it will then say okay you were at desk 328 on the fifth floor what did you think of your climate <laughs> while you were there do you mind if I play the Luddite for just a moment <laughs> I don't really know if I want my building to know all that about me so that it can cater to my every need I mean there's just a part of me that feels a little creeped out by that just a small teeny part of me there's part of a larger part of me i think that wants us to have extremely efficient buildings but um if i walk into a building and they say rachel thank you for coming i noticed you're running a temperature today can i give you a cooler room i'm likely to walk right back out the door thank you very much yeah i agree with you and it is it is very worrying that people would know in terms of the amount of sound you put out and where you are but somehow we have to make buildings more efficient and we cannot keep making the building change. There is a system where you can actually, uh, two people in a room can change the HVAC system. Uh, You can get onto your iPhone and you can say, I'm very hot in this studio, I think I'll turn it down to five degrees. Well, I might be turning it down, and you might be saying, Joe, it's not very warm in here, I'm going to turn it up. Sounds like a lot of couples I know, especially when one of them is going through uh, the change of life. (laughs) Or, you know, one's pregnant, one's not. There's a lot of arguments about... Or when you get the wires crossed on the electric blanket (laughs) and you get a positive feedback loop. I used to do that as a kid. I used to unplug my parents' one and turn it over. (laughs) But I think you're right. It, It... that is a great question. And where, how much information do we want to give away? We're going through this with the Facebook. Front. Do you know what? I'm not on Facebook. I don't care what you do with Facebook. I'm not on Twitter. I don't care what you say on Twitter at the end of the day. It but your wife is me. tweeting your photograph, whether yes. you want her to or not. <laughs> I actually She's don't the have marketing t- director. <laughs> I actually don't have television either. I haven't had television wow. in 20 years. And really, okay, I am, I don't care about being called a Luddite. You called yourself a Luddite. How dare you call yourself a Luddite? You're I guess Luddite. maybe I should be proud of that. <laughs> I you use technology, and we're in a very high-tech environment here at KSEO on well, the radio. So, you know, if I want to have it both ways, I'd have to just shout from a high mountaintop and hope you all hear me. But um, So I'm not anti-technology. Right. But I have to ask the good questions as a journalist, and... I don't know if everyone wants to go sight unheard into the new world without thinking about what they're giving away. Giving away, yes, exactly Informationally. It's exactly right. You are perfectly right. The problem is, as we get denser and denser with our population, as we, as the desking in in a, a hot desking office gets closer and closer together, we are all in this together. 
It's not the government's job to put right climate change. It's not the job of government's job to make changes that satisfy 10% of the population, not the other. We're all in this together. And in some cases, that may mean we have to give up information. Perhaps, but I also think government has a huge role in helping fix climate change because we elect them to do things we can't individually do. So I wouldn't leave it only up to the private industry and only up to individuals. We individuals collectively hire people as our elected officials to solve the intractable global problems that we alone cannot solve. So that's my pitch for when it works well. When it works. When it works right and we don't have corporate influence overriding our individual rights to elect people, it works great. By the way, that... We, we strive for that moment here on Planet Watch. So, so now that was sublime, but now for something <laughs> ridiculous, I, I would have had a really hard time with that hot desk thing because I had a long commute from Santa Cruz over to Mountain View or NASA Ames or search centers. I carpooled a lot, but sometimes I would just stay overnight and, you know, sleep on my... I had a bedroll in one corner of my desk. I don't know if I want a hot desk and, you know, I'm a big desk clutterer, I guess, with a hot desk at least that helps that problem but uh anyway <laughs> and the inevitability of us being overpopulated i don't know i'm not sure i believe that either i think we, we we have some control over our destiny as humans and yes we have to adapt to our dwindling energy situation uh well, well so that we, we don't do. heat us up too hot but i don't think it's inevitable we're going to be cheek by jowl in a building working crowded in with oh, each other. Yes, that's true. But I think at the end of the day, you know, the big thing, the big verbiage at the moment, the hot number to say is health and well-being. You know, it's it seems that everybody is talking about improving the health of people in the building. But Bream's been doing that for 30 years, for goodness sake. We've always looked after the health and well-being of the people in the building. But we can't overcome the problem of we can only make that better if you give us the information to make it better. And you're quite right. Where is the dividing line? Giving away information and not giving away information. We all grizzle about Experion losing all our uh, social security numbers, yet in the next breath we're going onto Facebook and telling everybody what we ate for breakfast, in what town and where we're going to be next week. So I liked opt-in rather than opt-out. That's my mantra these days, which is you should be able to decide and know what you're giving and choose to give it and the implications of giving it yes. and if you want to give it that's your choice but do not make me opt out without knowing i have opted in and that's the new mantra yeah. i think everyone ought to have with privacy including building privacy which i never thought we'd talk about here on <laughs> planet watch because we're talking about efficiency mostly but it did verge into that when you said it'll know how warm we are when we walk in <laughs> Well, you know actually this relates to something i've been wanting to bring up because it's huge in this whole discussion we haven't really mentioned it yet and that is uh, the whole issue of, okay, you can do technological improvements to buildings and, you know, science and engineering and all this. But, but hey, it could all be thrown out the window, almost literally, if uh, the users, you know, the people who are the inhabitants of the building are acting stupidly yes. and, and in all kinds of inefficient yes. and unwise ways. And so That's these exactly these right. standards, you know, you can have these wonderful standards, but uh, well, you can talk, you can use that. The simplest thing to do that with is is with recycling. I mean, we in a lot of cases in many of these commercial buildings, we we enacted great recycling things. Uh, the Transamerica Pyramid, for example, had fantastic recycling, which we upgraded for them and all that. The problem is there were people who were still one who decided they weren't going to run down the recycling center. They were going to throw anything in any bin. But then we also have commercial businesses making things that you would think would be recyclable and then aren't recyclable or aren't compostable. Interesting thought. Uh, we have a question from the audience from our intern, Maya Rodriguez, who got here despite the traffic. <laughs> Thank you for coming. Hey, in. Maya. Good to see I, you. I listened in the, uh, in the car, so I caught so, up on a lot of it. How did we sound? It sounded good. There's a little okay. blip in the... Uh, I, think, I, I think I guessed where you're from. Oh, okay. Well, later, later. <laughs> later? we still got okay. a few minutes. <laughs> but I had a question um, for... I know we've been focusing on, like, uh, buildings that have already been built and how yeah. to retroactively make them greener but for new buildings that will be made in the near future do you think that there are enough inherent incentives to go green like the costs and savings from energy or the um, energy savings or do you think that the government or social influence will have to kind of push them in that direction do you think the government will have to regulate in that direction or do you think that'll just kind of naturally happen because of those inherent incentives 
Wow, great question. Okay, um, in a lot of cases, I think you're going to find that the people in the building are going to drive this. So health and well-being is going to be a big, big piece to that. What you're going to get is the top uh, one percent of the of the commercial field is going to go down the health and well-being route because they need to retain people. Churn is very, very expensive. People leaving and new people coming in. So they're going to listen a lot more to the grizzling that people do when they are actually in a building because when you talk about building cost, the wages of the people in the building outnumber everything, absolutely everything in the end of the day. And if you're having a struggle getting people to come and work for your business, because you're not paying enough or you're in a difficult situation, then you've got to come up with criteria that are going to make people come to the building. That, it has the most perfect air conditioning, that it con is controllable, that, you know, the interior is, you know, we do recycling, we do whatever it might be, but you're going to be, have a, you're going to be driven by the people coming to the building in that top 1%. The rest of the 99% are going to have to hack it the best they possibly can because at the end of the day if there's no return on investment they are not going to do it if there's no money in it why would they do it wouldn't it have to result in people who owned buildings for longer periods of time if you're churning a building you're not going to invest in it you're just going to pass it yeah. on to the next investor but if what's the sweet spot where you have to own it for how many years before you might see that return yeah, on the return i wouldn't i'm normally trying to say to people that you you know you should be able to see a return in five years so if you've got a 10-year note on this then you're able to make certain of spending that early money the most important thing at the end of that is be able to track those changes over the period of time to make sure they are delivering what what you were sold too many times you're getting these you know great companies coming in with a great marketing pitch and oh you've got to do this uh, you know 10 spend five million on our operational system to equate how the energy is being run in the building well after about two or three years unless you're tracking the data that's going to wander off and you need to stay on top of it same with people in the building you know, people are saying it's not, it's too hot, it's too cold, whatever it might be. Tracking that data is imperative because unless you do that, how do you know, how do you know whether you, whether you should be reinvesting or going back to the original company and say, hey guys, you just sold me five million dollars worth of machinery here and it doesn't work and I need it fixed. So five years, I mean, there are people in our listening audience who write to us and say, you know, we have 10, maybe 15 years to get ourselves really fast off of fossil fuels in order to avert the worst disasters of climate change. If we just leave it up to people who are maybe going to do this and maybe not and don't have any bigger incentives, don't you think it'll take more than 10, 20, 30 years for everybody's buildings to be perfectly lead green? Absolutely. Certified? Absolutely. Without fail, this is not a five-year program. We've got to be thinking in the next 70 years because if we don't think in 70-year program and we think of a 2% return, we've got 35 years to be able to make it and then 35 years to get it to, to see that return somewhere in the program there. And then it's going to take an incredible amount of money. This is not something that's going to be done by tapping Joe's wages bill, okay? <laughs> this is going to have to come what from a serious amount of money being thrown at this problem to make it fix, to fix it and come up with ideas to go further down. Well, the given how much we're spending on our military right now, we could solve this problem in the United States simply by cutting our military budget in half. And which is more of an emergency? You know, something that might happen someday or something that looks like the scientists say is going to happen? Uh, you know, the Defense Department recognizes global warming as a security threat. Why aren't they spending their budget, you know, retrofitting buildings <laughs> instead? I'd like to see that. Well, well the, the actually Navy, actually the Navy, the, the services are doing a tremendous amount, and they do discuss this, so we should give them kudos where it is due. Don't nail the, the, the military. You well, go out in Saudi, we go out. And it, 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 they do not want to be transporting petrol in a tanker from the, from the port into central Iraq. They are looking at solar panels they're looking at anything methodology to reduce that risk factor so they are doing a tremendous amount of hard work there i got a quick last question for you barry we got about four minutes left for our oddball stuff maybe even only three 
But uh, basically, uh, how's business? Actually, <laughs> it is. For well, business is absolutely great. We've had a fantastic amount of uh, input. Um, we've into several universities. I seem to spend more of my time on the road now, going around and talking to different people. We have major companies coming into this who have been using Bream worldwide and said, well, hang on a minute. I didn't know Bream was here in America. We're going to start using it immediately. Cool. So right. this is great for us. Good Absolutely news. Fantastic. We'll stay tuned on that. And we got something Tommy's going to Well, speaking of worldwide, I was just wondering what countries are doing the best work at this and who's making the regulations to act, enact this. Well, I've, I've got to... I'm nearly going to get the game away here because... Uh, I we, we should go ahead and let Maya guess and tell okay, us how yeah. you guessed. All right, it was by the process of elimination... Definitely not Australian, definitely not New Zealand, definitely not South uh, African, so it's UK, but I want to specify, I was thinking Northern London. And Northern London, actually very close, I was born south of London. (laughs) (laughs) I know a person from south of London and sounds nothing like you. (laughs) Later I'll have to ask you how you ruled out those other three. (laughs) But But I think it's important that Europe's been chasing uh, energy improvements and building improvements for many years because they tied themselves to carbon many years ago. You know, that's been up and down carbon emissions and so on and so on. But they've had a target which they have stuck to. Here in America, we didn't want to talk carbon for whatever reason, and we ended up just talking about energy. And whilst that is incredibly important, it is only one part of what's going on in a building. There's water, there's materials, there's volatile organic compounds, the smell that comes off new carpets, there's materials coming into the building. So we just We've unfortunately, and the way LEED has gone at the moment, it's unfortunately segmented itself out rather than stay inside the brand and do all things within a building because that's what it takes, everything. We've got to do everything. We can't just keep picking on one single little thing. Well, I just want to thank you for showing us the tip of the iceberg of what you can do to large buildings to reduce their impact on the earth. Barry Giles, thank you for being with us here on Planet Watch. Thank you so much indeed, everybody. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, and we're going to go down the road right after the show and do a little free wine tasting uh, nearby. (laughs) Good Um, on you, (laughs) Joe. Just in the last minute or so here, uh, we're at or near the peak of the annual Lyrid meteor shower, L-Y-R-I-D, meaning that the meteors appear to fan out from the constellation of Lyra, the harp, as in, you know, lyrical, lyrics, well, lyrics is words, but (laughs) lyrical, musical, and uh, the, the star Vega, which was the star that the signals were coming from in Carl Sagan's book and movie Contact, <laughs> is the first star that appears in the east in the evenings now uh, of the summer triangle. Well, anyway, so these meteors are fanning out. I went out last night and saw a few. You have to go out after midnight, and it has to be clear. You might see a few more tonight. It's a fairly short-lived but very reliable shower, uh, meteor shower. And finally, uh, next week's show, April 29th, it will be a couple days before May Day which is a cross-quarter day. Cross-quarter day is when you're roughly halfway between a solstice and an equinox. So Halloween is a cross-quarter day. Groundhog Day is a cross-quarter day. And May Day, which will be almost at... So we're getting there. The sun's getting up pretty high into that last quarter of its... uh, you know, altitude angle in the sky for the for the year. And uh, so anyway, uh, everybody, uh, thanks for listening and keep an eye on the sky. This is Joe Jordan. I'm Rachel Ann Goodman, and this has been Planet Watch. A special thank to all of our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to support us, you could go to patreon.com and make a contribution to getting this show out to places like Carborough, North Carolina, where we're heard on a low-power FM station. We're also heard in Columbus, Ohio. So thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. This is Rachel Ann Goodman. Thanks for listening.